All right, so we're here uh, in the next iteration of the Health Center History Project. We're here with Carmela Castellano, who is the head of the California Primary Care Association, president and CEO there at CPCA. You've been with CPCA for how long? 23 of its 25 years. Wow. Just that quarter century right there. Uh, is something else, and uh, and in that time, so much has changed, right? Uh, in healthcare generally, in the health center movement in California, um, just the sheer size and and strength and span of what health centers do in California and across the country, it's really been a, a remarkable period of time. Um, uh, but I want to start with your early motivations uh, and ask you what was it in your early life that sort of set the pathway that you have followed now for not just the past 23 years at CPCA but the past oh I don't I don't want to date you but however many years that you've been dedicated to health equity and um, uh, and social justice well, I think the, the roots of my commitment to social justice go back to my childhood. And I grew up in a household with two parents, Alan Carmen Castellano, who were very socially aware. And so I think I was raised um, just in an environment where my parents were active on, you know, voting in elections or supporting candidates and mm -hmm. um, active in the community and did activities outside their work that were supportive in the Latino community in particular. And I, so I saw that growing up and um, I really liked what they were doing. Um, so I think I was raised with those values. But another aspect, too, that I think was really important that my parents did is I was involved in folklorico dancing from a very young age, from the age of seven. Wow. And I really think being a performing artist, a Mexican folk dancer, I was a professional dancer in high school with Los Lupenos de San Jose with my sister. Wow. And I just really think being immersed in the art and culture, uh, the Mexican culture, was very uh, significant in my life in terms of uh, really just ingrained in me a very strong love of my culture and heritage and uh, a love for my community. And so I really think just having shared my culture for so many years through art and dance just made it part of my life that I was going to be involved. And, and also growing up in San Jose, California, which actually at the time when I grew up, went to high school, there was a lot of ways a segregated community. And really? I lived in the part of San Jose that was, was not particularly Hispanic. And, um, but there was another side of town where all the Latinos lived. And at a very young age, I saw that difference um, between the two school systems, and it was a significant inequity. And so I think just being part of the side of town that had all the benefits, um, I really, my social justice fire was lit very early on when I saw the inequity in my own town. You were able to see the stark differences. I was, and I was able to live on the side and get all the benefits. And that also made me realize that I needed to pursue my education the farthest that I could because I realized in my town there were not very many Latinas getting the opportunities that I was uh -huh. by being in um, the outstanding public school system. And you went to California Berkeley uh, for undergraduate. Well, I actually started at San Jose State. Aha. Uh -huh. I started at San Jose State and I had my eye on the prize that I wanted to be a lawyer 
and I wanted to try to go to the best law school in the country. So I started at San Jose State, but I knew I wanted to transfer and work my way up, and I went to Berkeley and ultimately did end up at Yale Law School. At Yale Law. That must have been quite the experience. All the way across the country, talk about a wholly different culture. It How was. many Latinos were at Yale Law School? At well, there point? was uh, one other Mexican-American in the class of uh -huh. 1991, and I was the only female. Um, so there weren't too many Latinos, and mainly if they were, they were largely Puerto Rican or Cuban. Mexican-Americans, uh -huh. um, back at that time, you were lucky if there were one or two in a class. Sure. Absolutely. Um, so that set you apart, but it also, once again, showed you in a different way the sort of the the not the separation, but the differences in education for um, those who were fortunate enough and those who weren't, um, whether it's law school or other things. I'm sure you saw at Yale what I'm certain that several of your friends, colleagues, peers um, in California would love to have been able to, to go through to experience but it just wasn't in the cards for them to do that. Unfortunately, there aren't enough people who get the opportunity to experience that, um, yeah. that form of education, and, and I wish it was available to more. Yeah, but what's also important is you took that opportunity and used it not just for yourself, but you took it back home when you finished and applied it, and you've applied it now for the rest of your life and career. And that was really always my intention, because when I um, decided I wanted to be a lawyer at a very young age, well, I was in high school, and mm -hmm. I wanted to be a lawyer to come back to San Jose and address the inequities that I saw. Uh -huh. And so for me, um, I went to Yale with a very much an intent and purpose, which uh -huh. was to educate myself and arm myself with the best education possible to be able to come back and apply it to my community. So it was my plan from the very beginning. Now, so many others who do that and, and pursue a legal career end up in a law firm or in some uh, help type advocacy group, um, uh, you chose a different pathway with the California Primary Care Association. What led you to decide that that was a good way to fulfill your lifelong dream and desire to make a difference? Well, my first path out of law school was to the public interest nonprofit sector, uh -huh. and I ended up at the Law Office of Public Advocates in San Francisco, uh -huh. which is a civil rights firm that had been founded in the 70s, actually by Yale law graduates, and a very progressive firm that represented minority low-income organizations and largely class action impact litigation. So, but the, the, an interesting thing about public advocates is they don't only focus on litigation. They really see multi-pronged approaches to advocacy. So their legislation is what we looked at. Coalition building was something that we we looked at media and communication. So it was very much a broad approach to advocacy. And a couple things happened for me that were so fortunate and, and, and led me towards health centers. One is I, I wanted to work on a Latino project and it happened to be that healthcare was the issue that was coming to be in California sure. and there was no Latino voice 
Clinton was introducing health care reform, and there wasn't a statewide Latino presence. And so when I asked about a Latino project, um, we came up with the idea about what about creating a voice for Latinos in California in this health care reform debate. And I was a couple weeks out of law school when I asked for that project, <laughs> and I said, that sounds great. And through, I was able to uh, form the Latino Coalition for Healthy California. Now, you can imagine in pulling together a statewide policy organization for the state of California, you can guess who might be prominent in that. And it, of course, it would be community health centers. Sure. When I asked, who's a list of people I need to go to to address Latino health, prominent on that were health center leaders like Castro de la, de la Rocha of Ultimate Health Services, Jane Garcia of La Clinica de la Raza, some of the long-term leaders of um, Latino health in California were uh -huh. the folks to go to. So I was very much involved in the law firm with the Latino Coalition for the Healthy California. Health center leaders were a key piece. And then that's how I really got involved in healthcare and multicultural health, through the law firm, actually. Wow. So 23 years ago, you were um, selected to head the California primary. And I know that CPCA had experienced some great difficulty in the years prior to your you're uh, taking the helm there. Um, politics, among other things. Uh, the I remember uh, going out to California to try to negotiate <laughs> peace between the African-American and the Latino health center directors and leaders. Um, <laughs> coming back and saying to my, my partner and buddy, Tom Van Coverden, these guys are never gonna get it together. <laughs> And then a few years later, boom, there you are, and you have managed to unite many disparate factions, white rural health center directors, the African-American, urban and rural um, health center advocates, et cetera, and Latinos, which are, I am sure, they are in the, in the population, uh, and the population, the target population, uh, the largest That's correct. group of uh, uh, of both health center leaders, health centers, and communities in need. Um, how have you kept all of that together and kept them united? Well, you know, CPCA came into being 25 years ago, and this was after a long history, like you said, of division in politics. Mm -hmm. There were um, different kinds of associations based on ethnic groups or regions. Yeah. Um, we have regional clinic associations that do exist to this day. But the, there was that disparity. And I think what happened is the association was formed around a time of very difficult political climate. I mean, this was the Pete Wilson era in California. Oh, this is when I was at the law firm representing La Clinica de la Raza and Tiburcio Vasquez Health Center in a lawsuit to challenge Pete Wilson trying to eliminate prenatal care for undocumented immigrant women in California. So the clinics were, I think, realizing that the lack of unity, the lack of political clout in the Capitol was now getting to a point where they were really under assault. Sure. And so that's when they came together and formed the association. And then I came in a few years into um, as the second CEO. And I think at that time, the first CEO had gone around the state, Marion Bennett, I'm very thankful to her. She built a membership. She went around and asked people to join the association. So then when I came in a year and a half, two years into the life of the association, people were saying, okay, we've been a member of the association. What is the association going to do for us? Uh -huh. And that was really what I was ready for. I was there to impact policy. I was there to be in the heart of Sacramento. And so that's how uh, we began, by introducing legislation right out the gate. I realized that what was going to probably unify this group, what it was going to take, they were going to need to see the power 
of being a united voice. So that if I focus on policy outcomes as my top objectives, I already got a membership. Uh -huh. And there's plenty more that aren't part of the association, but the way to get them to join is to get results. That sure. really became my focus, and I think the focus of the leadership. We need to drive policy in California. We need to create that voice. We need to make policy change to benefit the health centers. I really think some early wins in the early years is what really helped coalesce the health centers, because they had not united uh, in a statewide level before. They saw sure. the power of what they could do together. I think that's what's done it. Like the book of Saul Alinsky, organizing and giving them early wins and teaching folks who may not necessarily see initially a value of working together in working together with each other. When those early wins come, suddenly they say, whoa, wait a minute, if we work together, maybe we can accomplish some key things. Another important piece too is some of the leaders that I had worked with for many years, and it was a multi-ethnic coalition because I was involved through the Latino coalition in, I also created the California Pan-Ethnic Health Network in California. So I was very involved wow. in multicultural health policy. So I was working with all the different types of health centers, um, the Asian, the Native American, the African American, mm -hmm. and the Latino. So I had built up um, some support among health center, prominent health center leaders. Now, when I became the CEO of C CPCA, I didn't realize how many health centers there were. <laughs> I had been working with some of the most prominent, biggest, the big players uh -huh. who were just the big influencers, but there were hundreds more. And that's what was really eye-opening for me to come in and realize not only did I have hundreds of clinics, but there at the time there were six regional clinic associations. I wasn't really clear about that when I had been at the law firm. And then, so there was this incredible infrastructure really underneath this tiny little state association of regional organizations uh -huh. that had a long track record. The Alameda Consortium had been around 20 years at that point. These were, sure. at San Diego had been around maybe even longer. These were established health entities at the local level. So I also, you know, came in to have some, some strength already under the association as well. Very helpful. That's a blessing. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, in, in fact, when I first looked at California, I remember saying to myself, because I saw some numbers <laughs> that came out of early in your tenure, came out of California on the number of health centers, and I looked and I said, well, that can't be, because I'm over here with the HHS list of federally funded community health centers, and there's X, and over here it's Y in California, and it's like, where in the hell did these guys come from? Where does their funding come from? How are they operating like that? But there were hundreds and hundreds, as you say, of smaller local community clinics uh, operating in their communities, providing incredibly important and valuable health care um, that were not federally funded at, at under Section 330 right. under the Community Health Center program, but they were just as politically active and just as active in health care delivery as the community health centers as well. So for you, I think in California, more than in almost any other state, it was a matter of bringing together not only the cats and dogs of community health centers, but all the different animal kingdoms 
Well, that's what's important to know, and it continues to be in some ways a unique aspect of California, the national scene, in that we are a PCA that goes beyond FQHCs and includes the lookalikes of free and community clinics, of Planned Parenthood clinics, tribal clinics, uh, urban Indian clinics. So we are um, broad in, in that manner. Yeah. And that's been our strength, and sometimes it does create challenges too. But overall, I think that was one of the smartest decisions that was made early on. I'm very thankful since I inherited that decision, uh -huh. that it was to be as big and broad as possible. That is the strength of the association in the legislature. That mm -hmm. we can go in there now and say that there are 1,300 sites throughout the state serving 7 million people in the state of California. It's, that really is phenomenal. And back then it was 2.3 million. It, it was a big number back then. That is amazing. Um, how do you keep it all together? Well, one thing that I think has been really critical that I'm very thankful for, I think there's been some tremendous board leadership over the years that I feel very fortunate because uh, I work with the board of 30 that is elected by the membership. Uh -huh. So the members choose who's on that board. And the board of directors that work very closely with me, those are the leaders, the health centers in the state. They're the ones who sure. represent us with the policymakers. They're the ones who set the policy priorities for the clinic movement in the state of California. And I think over the years, we've had incredible leadership at the association level in terms of the chairs uh, and of uh, the board of, uh, that I've worked with at CPCA over many years, the different chairs we've had. And just the fact that the board, I think, has been visionary and nimble and bold. And I think those uh, qualities and the, the leadership of the clinic movement in California have been key to our success. Well, I think that's absolutely true. And obviously, all of that said, it takes leadership to pull the disparate groups together and keep them focused on common goals and objectives. That clearly is a tribute to you and, and what you've been able to do with these disparate groups, keeping them unified now, I assume that as you have done that, you've focused on, okay, what are the issues that all these different health center types share in common? Is it recruitment retention? Is it third-party reimbursement? Is it Medi-Cal? Um, what is it that, what are the needs that they share in common that we at CPCA can mobilize folks to respond to? Is that sort of how you've gone about doing it? That, that's a piece of it, and in some ways that's been a struggle because of the prominence and dominance, really, of the FQHCs in California, uh -huh. which did grow over time. We were very successful with the first, the Bush expansion, ultimately with the ACA, to change those hundreds of clinics became FQs, you know, over time. <laughs> yeah. So we've um, always had that challenge where obviously the Medicaid program and the PPS funding yeah. and uh, the specific FQHC funding has to be a priority in any association of FQs. So obviously that's been a big priority for our association. Sure. Um, but as you said, we're gonna be representing clinics more broadly. We have to have a broader vision, a broader agenda. And that has focused around everything from, there's plenty of categorical funding in California that a broad set of clinics have access to mm -hmm. that we have worked to expand over the years or keep from being cut over the years. So Categorical funding has been one area we're able to, by playing a role there. And you're talking about state funding, yes, even more than federal. Yes, categorical respects. state yeah. funding. That's correct. Different kinds of programs that we've had to um, protect and try to grow and augment, um, and then certainly the workforce issue as yeah. is one that is across the board uh, impacting our health centers, and certainly with the ACA. We had to kick our attention on that to a whole other level than in previous years. 
we were really focused on Medicaid and the funding issues, and we always knew workforce was there, mm -hmm. but in terms of really taking it on, it was the ACA that forced CPCA to do that at a whole other level. Yeah. But it, it had always been there. But I, I think a lot of it comes down to the funding and the relationships with the state. That's another key. There's a number of agencies that are so important to the health centers. And the association has been key to getting in with the leadership in the bureaucracy of the state of California and yeah. being that conduit for resolving issues among our members. And that's any kind of member can have any kind of issue in that bureaucracy. And I think that's been another benefit to help our health centers navigate um, the state regulatory and bureaucratic process. And so we play that role to help facilitate. So those are some of the ways where I think we benefit everyone. And just one more that's really critical that I'm very proud of. The training and technical assistance that we offer out of CPCA is tremendous. And our federal grant has been a big um, benefit to us to be able to offer training, but we've mm -hmm. been able to, on a fee-for-service basis to grow that significantly to help really grow revenue for our association. So I think another major benefit that all kinds of clinics get is to take advantage of all the different training that we offer to strengthen uh, health center operations. To make them better managers, uh, better uh, 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 better stewards of yes. the resources they get, both from you know federal and state sources, and even from the patient community and local communities. I know you have a lot of strong support from local communities, cities, counties, et cetera. Yes. It's a, it is a huge undertaking. <coughs> Excuse me. On the workforce front, you know, I know, that it's so much more than just recruitment and retention of physicians and advanced practice nurses, et cetera. But as the scope of services that are offered by health centers has changed so dramatically, so too then the pressures on workforce recruitment and retention, uh, be that marriage and family therapists or other kinds of health professionals and even non-health professionals that help um, help the health center meet the needs of the community that it serves. That's got to have been a huge challenge. I mean, just the scope of what you're on the workforce front alone, what you're working toward has got to be daunting. It's that combined with the fact that we're limited to certain billable providers too. Yeah. So it's like to have a workforce that you can't even be reimbursed for can be challenging too. So we have yeah. challenges for trying to fill the slots that we have and then uh, needs that we have that we can't be paid for. The workforce is a major challenge in a variety of ways for yeah. us. You know, speaking of payment, um, we've all followed the push for payment reform uh, moving to value-based payment, et cetera. And I know here, uh, California and CPCA have been leaders in the front of recognizing that fee-for-service payment is going to go to the way the, of the dodo bird and that the system seems to be trying to move toward a, a person-based payment, but not capitation per se, more um, uh, people-focused uh, than transactional. More, more. Uh, I'm trying to think of the word, but uh, more a relation, relational between the individual patient 
and the system of care, the provider, okay, than the transaction of a visit and what have you. And I know you have, you continue to work on that, right? Absolutely. That, you know, that's been one of our big challenges. On the one hand, what I would say um, I really appreciate about the leadership in California is really recognizing the limits of the visit-based model yeah. and, and rec a recognition that in order to provide better care for our patients, we need to be freed up from those constraints. And so we recognized that a long time ago. We've actually been working on payment reform uh, almost 10 years now. Looking at this, okay, so it's been a while since the it's ACA not passed, a and then you know, thing, right? yeah. um, and so we uh, in California, in, in fact, we passed legislation. We were going to be um, one of the first in the nation to pilot test a, a capitated kind of payment that would have freed us up from some of the uh, challenges we have with being able to bill for providers and allow us to mm -hmm. um, not have all the limitations. And at, ultimately, we were not successful because of CMS coming in. Um, now that was on that particular initiative, which was a big disappointment to us. But we have not. Not given up and we do intend to continue to look at alternative payment and we talk to the new administration now we have a new governor in California we want to reopen the dialogue around this we are determined to move to a payment model that's going to work for our patients and for community health centers but in California we believe we have to drive that we don't want whatever new payment system to be imposed on us sure. we want to be a partner in coming up with the new payment vision for the future. So that's what we hope to do with the new administration in California, continue to be a leader on this issue. Well, you know, some years ago, I think you were in the room when at one of the PCA conferences, I was asked, how do you feel about different states trying different methods and different approaches to payment reform? And my response was, let a thousand flowers bloom. Thank you. California, CPCA, and Carmela Castellano for taking us seriously on that and really trying to find a new way of, um, uh, of fixing payment to function more appropriately relative to the population that's served and their needs rather than some stupid visit-based system that the AMA came up with 100 years ago or whatever, uh, and that doesn't serve today's needs, even in the private sector, mm -hmm. it doesn't serve today's needs. Uh, so we do need to move in that direction. Uh, and we need pathfinders such as yourself and CPCA pushing the pathway forward. Well, the health centers in California, we have a long history with managed care. Um, the community health centers in California have been in this business for a long time. Yeah. Business innovation, you know, um, moving toward the future. So I really think we, we will get there, California. That's important because the, my, my sort of final question is, um, uh, what do you see as the future for health centers uh, and in whatever system's going to come? God only knows with our current president and some of the crazies there. But that'll change. We know that. Mm -hmm. This too shall pass. Um, but how do you see the future for health centers at this particular point? Well, I continue to be very optimistic. I have seen over decades the resilience of community health centers. Yeah. I have seen them weather storms before, and I know there were storms long before I got involved in this, mm -hmm. and the clinics are still here. And in California, not only are they still here, we have become the backbone of the Medicaid program. One in three Medi-Cal patients is seen at a community health center in California. We've got four million 
Wow. Medi-Cal patients wow. in the clinics in California, seeing 7 million patients total. So the community health centers are really, like I said, the backbone of the Medicaid system in California. So I think our future, um, our future is bright because I think we're going to continue to be very critical to the healthcare system. Mm -hmm. And with the ACA opening everyone's eyes, it seems to the emphasis and need to look at primary care and investment yeah. in primary care. The ACA opening us, looking at prevention and social determinants of health. It just really mm -hmm. feels like there's a new dialogue in healthcare um, that is, I think the health centers are very well positioned to be the center of. Yeah. Um, so I feel very good about that. And, and I think in California, we're gonna be able to continue to grow um, as a community health center movement and continue to be even more important to the healthcare system of California. Thank God. Thank God you're there. <laughs> Thank God, you know, your leadership points the way in California and for the country. I think that's so vitally important, Carmela. Uh, you're one of the icons. Uh, you may not have been there at the beginning, but you have been there in the most important points and more important than anything, you're there now pointing the way to the future. That's our future. So thank you. Thank you, Dan.